0: Come on in here, come on in here, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come on in here, come on in here, it's the best band in the land. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast.
1: Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that,
0: sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir,
1: someone is stealing the Enterprise.
0: What are you stretching at? <laughs> Humans
2: make illogical decisions.
0: Distract the sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mrs. Spock. I'm talking to Mrs. Spock. you understand? Stockley, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Fire, Mr. Scott.
2: And welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday, TOS edition, episode number 74, and I am Scott Gardner.
1: Thank you, Sanyo. Hi. Somebody I'm all, out. I'm a little excited what? to be back.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, somebody out there in listener land has just shit a complete brick when this episode uh, loaded up to the feed, because they're like, oh my god, not only are they back, but it's it's a normal episode, it's a regular episode, yes it is. Yeah, there's, Hello, been, some, there's, been, back.
1: A, there's been a few Star Trek Monthly Mondays, but they've been like, us goofing around in Paul's backyard, acting out of muck time, and right. <laughs> ta- talking about like, shows that you haven't even seen and stuff but no now we're doing episodes again baby kirk you know
2: that one one you just referenced at a mock time i was just looking at the date on that on the feed and that that's like a that's like two and a half years ago can you believe that
1: i I remember editing that in the lobby of the of the hotel (laughs) you know the day the day we uh recorded that
2: that's that's just insane that it's been that long well, what have we been up to in the meantime? I mean, we've recorded a little bit, you know, here and there, as you say, little specials and such. But uh, wow, what a uh, what a roller coaster ride in the meantime! But you know, that could be an entirely that could be a show of its own. I don't even know if we want to head down that particular rabbit hole at this down, time. I think we down should that just particular
1: jump into this captain's log. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe we might Maybe want to that's... delete that captain's log. <laughs>
2: that might be a subject for another time i'm uh i don't know about you i am itching to talk some star trek so uh what do we got for this time
1: oh we got a a brand new brand new to star trek monthly monday episode of star trek what's funny is you and i thought we only had like four or five episodes of the original series left but no we got what 17 of them or so
2: well, after this one, it'll be 17. Yeah, 18 altogether before doing this one. It'll be 17 after we uh, finish yakking about this one. So, yeah.
1: Well, this one, <laughs> besides the whole missing captain's log, this might be the one that took the wind out of uh, <laughs> Star Trek Monthly Monday when it came up on the old uh, random generator computer. Because I remember, um, of the few things that I do actually still remember these days, um I remember when the, the title of this one, when, you know, I, I pulled out the number and then, no, oh, you're checking the guide. Okay, let's see. And just like, oh. <laughs> well, and, you know,
2: it, it's funny that you should mention that because I remember, I can't remember. If, I want to say it was a, a private message, I think. I think it was a, a Facebook private message. And I'm not even sure these days who it was from because this goes back a ways. But Right around the time that our unintended monster hiatus began, I got a a private message from a a faithful listener, basically politely taking me to task on the fact that my... um, I'm trying to remember how it was put, but my, my waning interest was starting to come through in the episodes, which was something that I was, had been fighting for a long time, you know what I mean? Kind of, kind of fighting, acknowledging that it was actually happening, you know, and really hoping that it wasn't being reflected in the episodes that my interest was beginning to wane. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on. And again, you know, maybe we could do this in a future episode, you know, the reasons, you know, what, what happened in the hiatus period and all that. Um, long story short, it didn't have anything to do with you and I I mean, you and I remain, you know, as good of friends as we've ever been It just more than anything, life You know, a lot of things were happening And, and things got busy and all that and, uh,
1: no, no, dude, you can but one thing that, that was about the time that I met Yoko And, you know, <laughs> things just start She used to show up on the show and go and I could hear you just I could hear your eyes rolling back through the, through the <laughs> microphone
2: but you know one one thing that definitely didn't help was that, to my memory anyway, we had didn't we have a string, of like crappy episodes? Oh yeah, and then this one came up <laughs> as it was you say. It was like the death blow. <laughs> it, it was. It really was. At that point, I was just like, God, I am tired of this. Plus, um, as you know, Plus, again, I was
1: I, all excited about it. So you were just getting crushed. I'm going, yeah. I'm going, Alexander. Oh, we haven't even well, named the, the episode that, that almost killed Scott Gardner, <laughs> and that is Plato's Red-Headed ch- Stepchildren. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, weren't we still... I, I'm trying to remember if we were still doing the comics at the time, and the comics weren't helping either, because nope. the comics that started so strong had become a real slog by that point yeah, both the conan the, the, the the jokes and are the getting TNG. old
1: yeah the conan right. jokes are getting old and i remember the tng ones were slightly better than the than the tos ones but they were just they the, the comics themselves were kind of in a rut you know and we probably as soon as they got in a rut we should have probably gone just like Oh well, so much for those. Let's find something that Peter David wrote or something, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, or exactly. John, or John Byrne wrote, and go have some fun. But you know, so it, it was a it was a
2: combination of factors. But uh, warp factors. In, in now, you know, having having had this this long period of of having to step away. Um my my interest in Star Trek is reignited. You know, I'm 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 feeling my passion for Star Trek again, especially TOS, you know, classic Star Trek. And I'm I'm anxious to go back in and finish what we began. You know, I want to finish you know, our coverage of all of TOS. And we're so close. I mean, we have 18 episodes left. And also I think part of what also uh, led to all that was at the time, I think you and I both believed, as you say, that there weren't that many episodes left for us to cover, but that pretty much everything that was left to a, for us to cover was crap. You know, like the like we'd done all the really good episodes. And that's not really true. Looking down the list here, I mean, there's, there's a couple of clunkers, but for the most part it, it, there's still some really good classic episodes.
0: Yeah, there is. There's some fun.
2: really good stuff in there. So yeah, I mean, it really has refueled my my interest for doing this show and and talking about Star Trek, which is you know something that I really enjoy doing. And I think that that, you know, that step away, that renewed interest and in, in all of that, my my you know refound enthusiasm, it, it really has uh, helped with this particular episode because I was not looking forward to this one at all. But because it was just so much fun after all this time to sit down and watch and review a classic episode, be it one that I used to love or one that I used to hate, knowing that I was gonna be sitting down with you again to talk about it, it helped, you know, and so I'm I'm really looking
1: forward to this episode despite. I'm not you know, gonna say this is that- a, a good episode, but I enjoy the hell out of this episode and as will as I'll explain. later that's
2: that's the thing i ended up really enjoying it is it a good episode no Uh -uh. but i ended up despite all that still having a blast watching it and this review would be so different had we done it the very next month you know way back when when we it would have a
1: it it would have a different dynamic it would probably be me mostly like dancing around and laughing and sort of mocking you and you would going, oh Jesus, <laughs> come on <laughs> oh for Christ's sakes I gotta say, in the last episode that we put out, which was this, the Star Wars uh, Monthly Monday, State of the Star Wars Universe you had one of the greatest just like, way to the world, Scott Gardner oh for Christ's sakes in it uh, it just stopped me in the middle of editing to just pause it and just laugh and just go, oh, yes. <laughs> That's the stuff. Well, how about a
2: synopsis on this one?
1: Oh, it's all you, baby.
2: No, you have the TOS. Oh, you're
1: right, you're right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, don't tell don't,
1: don't <coughs> you. Um,
2: you were the... the one looking forward to this one. I have the TNG, which... I'm looking forward just to my synopsis <laughs> because it's... It's
1: biting. <laughs> well, let me take a little drink here, but ever, even though I didn't remember that I wrote the synopsis just now, I am proud of my synopsis, too. <laughs> <clears throat> Plato's Stepchildren Synopsis by Chris Honeywell. The Enterprise is forced into orbit of the planet of the leftover Roman sets. The leader of the Platonians got himself a boo-boo and needs a doctor to fix him. Uh, his, he's got a little scratch on his knee, and turns out, the crew has run into some eugenics-loving descendants of actual humans who have developed psychic powers and immortality and who are frankly real pricks. Like pick-on-a-midget kind of pricks. Um, after, uh, after they cure their leader... They decide McCoy is a keeper, which triggers Kirk into full Kirk Protocol 15 Blue, total resistance. That means there will be all kinds of psychic controlled action tomfoolery. We're talking singing, dancing, dwarf tumbling, rodeo rides, lip mashing kisses, and the Mexican hat dance around Shatner's (laughs) hairpiece. And now, let the revels begin! kick
0: kicks kicks
1: you see I remember this as one when you me and Randy would get together it was like rolling on the floor with tears because I mean let's face it this isn't just a Kirkorama. everybody gets to play Shatner in this one <laughs> just about everybody gets my theory is when they handed out the scripts to everybody and you know you had the cast and crew have been together for 3 years they didn't know each other all the other actors and actresses involved were really good and they probably read this terrible script which had good ideas in it but it was just, it's just i think that's the weakest point the direction of it is kind of crappy too but it's serviceable but the the the, the script is just crappy and uh And I think all the actors got together and just decided, let's take the responsibility and grab ourselves an extra piece of scenery and chew extra hard. Everybody's (laughs) chewing to their full capacity in this one. And it's what saves the episode from being, you know, just terrible (laughs) and not being just terrible and hilarious. I don't...
2: You know, see, that's the thing. That's probably where you and I are going to most disagree, is that, surprisingly, much like I've said, I, I feel like... Because I've been listening back to old episodes to kind of bring myself up to speed on the on the way we used to do these things. And I've been having a blast doing that, by the way. we We, we have some really good old episodes. But anyway... I found myself saying that a lot, you know, that there were episodes that I didn't like when I was a kid or, you know, that came up with the random number generator thing and going, oh, God. But then I'd watch them and be like, you know, that was better than I remember it. And this started that way. It started that way. Like, hey, you know, this is actually better than I remember it to be. Maybe I'll end up not hating this one. But the problem is, is that it has a pretty, at least for my sensibilities, has a pretty clear shark jumping point in it, which is when. Alexander rides Kirk, and he's doing the.
0: <laughs>
2: that's where it just. I'm done at that point. I just. That's where I just kind of mentally check out. Like, okay, this just it jumps the curve. <laughs> yeah, it really. It, it just. It, it it passes a point. Now I know what's happening. You know, I know that. You know, it's supposed to be that Parman is is psychically controlling them and making them do all these ridiculous things. And I I I know that part of what he's supposed to be doing is. Making them do ridiculous and humiliating things. I get that that's the point of it, but I, I couldn't I couldn't explain to you why. But even knowing that, it's still ridic- It's too ridiculous. You know what I mean? It, it, it it's it's pushing it too far. And there are points in this that I'm just looking at it, going, how the hell did they convince Shatner to do this? at all. You know what I mean? D- despite the fact that it was going to be on film, it was going to be
1: on television, you know. No, they were probably given t- Shatner tranquilizers to get him not to do stuff. I could see like see I totally see Shatner and it's, like Shatner and um, and Nimoy especially. And I imagine it, uh, pretty much everybody in those times you, you usually had a history on the stage you know and right. this this was a, th- this whole episode was the kind of thing you would do like in between seasons of plays it would be like all right now we're going to do an exercise you're a horse and you're a midget riding a horse now go and then the, you know and you would be you would be doing these exaggerated motions because you'd be acting for a whole th- you know for people who are 150 feet away possibly so it's they basically it was just sort of like this actor's workshop and you know in the actor's workshop they say don't you know there's no wrong instinct you're you're just trying things out so you know go full force and Chatner has no shame <laughs> you know, <laughs> given the opportunity to. Uh, I think Shatner just. He just seems to always enjoy that being controlled by an outside and fighting, you know, the Kirk fighting and control from an outside entity. It happens so much, and he has such a style of it that he's developed, you know, and so. I don't know. I thought they were, you know, at this point they were probably like every show that they did was probably could be their last show because it was just in, you know, a a sort of limbo of whether they're going to keep going or not. So they were probably, I mean, when I read, if I read that script, I would be just like, we got to have fun with this or else this is going to be just awful you know an awful experience we might as well like have fun with it and like the parts of it that like th- those parts really work they don't work as far as being realistic or anything like that but they work as pure entertainment value of of shatner i i I can't separate also as soon as Shatner just starts going ye and you know, all I see is like this giant, like Wizard of Oz, Randy face, <laughs> just like going, ee, ee, ee. <laughs> like sitting, <laughs> and the three of us are like sitting in your room watching it on that old black and white TV, just like rolling on the floor. Like I mean, it's just it's absur- it's all absurd. The only part where it gets really disturbing to me is where they're making a make out on the couches, and yeah. Um, and that the, the and it's supposed to be. I mean, the guy who plays um, what is it, Parman? It basically, yeah. he looks like Malcolm McDowell when he was in that movie Caligula. You know, playing the like <laughs> most evil, torturous Roman. You know, jaded to the world Roman emperor. So this is basically like Doctor Parman's evil torture dungeon, and and Parman isn't even the sickest <laughs> one. His wife is the one he's doing it all for. She's the one sitting there going like. Yummy, yummy. Yeah, I can't wait till they. Yeah, she's getting
2: all. Yeah, she's She's... getting all horned up through the whole episode. Oh, she
1: sure is. And and at first you think, oh, she's she's gonna fall for Kirk, but no, she's waiting for. She wants to see Kirk put a knife in Scott in Spock's head or something. She's a she's she's a (laughs) sicko. He's he's doing it for her. You know, he's just like I haven't gotten laid in two hundred years, man. I got to get the. You know, it's a perfect opportunity to get the wife in the mood. You know. They've gone. They've gone two thousand years past taking her out to dinner, you know. So, yeah. So it's 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 well kind that of... that raises an
2: interesting question in this because I was trying to I was trying to follow follow the dialogue in the very beginning of this thing and it's one of those things I always have problems with following a story when I'm like uh, you know like not not just not all that interested to begin with you know and i'm definitely wasn't interested to the point of like rewinding to hear it all again or whatever but if if i got this straight (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong so these are basically ancient aliens that came down around the time of plato hung out in ancient greece with these dudes and then when they got bored they you know they flitted off to the planet that they're at now and they're just eternally living out ancient greece if i got this straight
1: yeah, they they've they they took the ideas that they learned from Plato and are decided to live out the. I guess it would be like the Platonic ideal or something like that, you know. Right. So they're not humans from Earth. They are they are ancient aliens that.
2: You see, that I didn't.
1: I, I I I I was unclear on that. I I thought that they were just that they were, that they that they were Earth people who got developed more but then again how did they how the hell did they get off earth so that's what I was going to ask know. yeah so that's that's where I
2: was a little bit confused in this because that that's how I took it was that they were they were ancient aliens that came down hung out you know during old Greeky times and then <laughs> at like some point got good. bored and just took off or whatever but the the thing I don't know there's just a lot about that that's just, that's just weird and doesn't make a lot of sense the biggest thing is All right, we've been in this territory before because there was uh, Who Mourns for Adonis where they actually meet Apollo the actual Greek god Apollo or Roman god or whatever the hell he is and they're all enamored and, and there's a whole conversation in that episode about ancient aliens and how, oh, this is really cool and all that and in this one it's a throwaway piece of dialogue at the very beginning of the episode that impresses no one
1: that these people actually mingled with humans during ancient uh, Greek times. And, honestly, I honestly, I, I wouldn't be, I would not doubt it one bit if this show was written around the extra sets that they had laying around. So they're like, write something with this <laughs> ancient right. Roman, co- Greek Roman concept to it, and 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 do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's there's good ideas in the story and in the concepts of it but they're not they're not it, it 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 it's like almost like a first draft where they were like okay well right. we'll shore that stuff up in the second and third draft of it when we finish it off and then they were just like ah you know why do we even have to bother cuz <laughs> cuz i mean the main idea of it is just sort of that um you know, if if you age t- if you age too much, and you are kind of a smug prick, you are going to turn into a a, a sadist, you know a sadist basically. You know, the, right. ba- basically it's all summed up in Kirk's speech at the end, where he calls them a bunch of bastards, and is like, "Well, I am a bigger bastard." And then they grovel, but you know, so that so that's the important moral lesson of it but it's just I mean, I'll back you up on the whole
2: poorly written thing or sloppily written or hastily written or whatever because not only is the genesis of the episode very unclear at the very beginning of the episode, but also I feel like the resolution is incredibly unclear because they go through all... You know, they jump through all these hoops to... You know, they up their midichlorian count to get the Force to stop him and all this other crap... Oh, yeah. And And and, he he talks Alexander out of murdering Parman and then they, you know, they give Parman this big speech and everything. But at the end of the day, they take Alexander and they're gone and they leave Parman in charge. So what exactly? I mean, what? Kirk really thinks that just. Slapping his wrist and telling him, okay, from now on, we want you to be nice to people that come visit you. Okay, we're out of here. I mean, really? That's the resolution well, of the episode. Well, I'm, I'm guessing
1: that they thought that now that. And this, 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 here's some more bad writing, all in the same, tied up in the same concept is. And this, this goes right into the, uh, the movie You're So Lucky You Skipped, Into Darkness, where after a while they were like, wait a minute, don't. Did they? Did McCoy just come up with a cure for death just now? Well, that sort of ruins the whole future of Star Trek right there. Right here, they they basically come up with an injection of um of Jedi juice of midi- literally of right, like right. Mandalorians, you know. It's like, oh, you want psychic powers in a few hours? Bzz, now we know how to do it. Why aren't they using that all the time now? You know. Well, what really annoyed me about that, I mean, on the surface
2: of it, it was kind of cool because I watched the enhanced version of this. Yeah. So when, when McCoy does that midichlorian comparison between Parman and Alexander, it, 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 there's, there's actually a, a cool readout on his tricorder. Yeah. yeah. So I liked that idea, but then I got to thinking about, wait, 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 wait. Back up a minute. These, despite all appearances, are not human beings. They are extraterrestrials they are they are aliens so what's to say that even if kirk and spock and don't forget spock is also not human right that just beefing up there whatever the hell the name of the 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 chemical was or whatever cr- ridianite or whatever it was the like hell it, it was, was like
1: chlorine or something like that yeah. so it was, what, so it, it what was what almost say, midichlorian actually
2: almost yeah but what's to say that that is going to work for them because shouldn't their physiology be different because i'll give you an example you had um unless i'm misremembering this again in who mourns for adonis they you know it was uh, i believe it was mccoy that supposed that the whole reason that apollo could do what he did was because he had an extra organ in his body that basically channeled this power and, it and like that's a how battery. he was able to
1: yeah yeah
2: he was he was he had godlike powers because of this special organ that he had that that other people didn't have. So it just it seemed a little weird to me that it was that pat that all they had to do was beef up this this one chemical in their body. And suddenly they would they would gain these abilities. Now they they wrote it off with the whole thing of well it was the food, but uh, you know really,
1: I don't well, know. I, well, just... here's the thing. I mean, you could retcon it or or no prize it and say, yeah, they were aliens, but they were humans, you know, because we've also got this thing in Star Trek. Uh, what, what, what what were they called? The Cedars or something or the right that 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 were c- preservers something that like were seeding cedi- yeah. seeding human genetics all over the the universe. So it, they could have been just advanced humans that that left Earth and then, you know, got got into some of the fruit that... But, yeah, it's, it's, it's stupid, and it also opens up too many implications that they don't even... I mean, McCoy, you would think McCoy would be like, the implications of this are blah, 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 you know? <laughs> it, 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 instead, task, I guess sort of tacitly, they, they just sort of seem to be like, well you know the federation would you know isn't going to dabble in in a in a injection that can give you psychic powers and it's, it's like, i don't know about that you know there's they've they just did dabble in it you know and used it right. to win and also when when kirk when he's like who did that and kirk's like i didn't throws down his whip all right so you still have kirk and spock who've gotten their injections but there's, there's still a dozen other Platonians standing around there, so Kirk is, you know, why, why aren't the other Platonians stepping in and you know throwing Kirk around too, you know, so it's, it's, it's two guys with so Kirk and Spock with double, theoretical double power are four guys, they're still outnumbered three to one, with people who've been using those powers for two thousand years, so but none of the other Platonians even try, you know. And uh or may may I don't know I don't know if maybe the other Platonians hadn't well no they'd gotten the psychic powers because they would just they would just bring Alexander to him and Alexander's another they example. they
2: all had it but it was the it was mentioned several times in the episode that Parman was basically the double dumb. strength to yeah he he was more powerful than than all the other ones but still that's a pretty formidable power and. That was also another reason I thought it was odd that he's left in charge at the end of it because you had those those two really smug guys in the gallery there that they seem like they were pretty depraved too. So it seems to me that it it's not just Parman, it's it's,
1: it's that's all of them. society. They're all so they're all like So even that. if
2: if Parman, you know, he he takes this to heart and and really does change, He's one guy out of this society of of evil pricks that have been doing this for a couple of thousand years. I mean, are they really going to change well, that I... fast and that much that they're not just going to continue down the path that they're already on?
1: Well, I don't know. I would think more like you would deal with it by putting that planet on the the Starfleet no-go list, you know, yep. list. Of like, yeah, we don't go here because they're... <laughs> Superpowered, godlike, sadistic killers who won't let you off their planet alive. But it's now, also Starfleet, so they. In ca- the
2: first place, I mean,
1: other than, than Parman had called for a doctor. I mean, is that what they're there for? He had he had gotten his, an infection because they'd be grown so weak, and it was it was so, killing him. So they needed yeah they'd needed a doctor for the first time in two thousand years. So how? So was this first contact? With these guys, yes, this this was first this was first contact, and I and I imagine there's no Starfleet pro there would be no Starfleet problem with it under like the Prime Directive or anything because right they were they they were basically kidnapped, so it was the both of the but I I just realized both of our Star Trek episodes are kidnapping stories, but um. <laughs> So like anything Kirk does in this, Kirk can sort of violate the prime directive if he has to, because he's just, a, you know, he's, he's just after, after a certain point, you know, the, the only goal is get away from this planet and get the ship out safe. Right. So, so I imagine See, that I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think what's lacking at the end
2: of this episode is, is them setting up a, uh... You know, a a couple of space buoys saying, "Okay, stay away." You know, and that this this planet goes on the you know the Starfleet no-fly list. You know,
1: see, I could even I I could even see him doing another piece of bad writing that's better than the other. It's it's better, but not good writing, because it would sort of mess up with uh, Starfleet you know ethics a little bit. But you know that happens in Star Trek too. And I would have had Doctor McCoy be like. You know what I just discovered? I just discovered if we bathe this, the, the, this, this colony of people with this beam of this wavelength, it, it will counteract the effects of the fruit and they'll be normal humans and we can leave them to, to be normal people now and they can contemplate their mortality instead of how they're going to, you know, while away eternity torturing people and fly away and be like ha ha, ha you know <laughs> dun. dun, 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 dun. Yeah,
0: <laughs> your apartment and
1: your the rest of you you can live out the rest of you know the the your the rest of your, you know 40 to 6 60 years <laughs> as normal people get a taste of it or or something like that but no yeah. they were just out of there that that once once the, the story conflict was was resolved, the writers were just like, all right, let's get out of here as fast as we can, and maybe nobody will notice. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm, trying, uh. I'm trying to think of my other... Uh, I only have one other real negative. It's another writing um, thing, and that's the character of Alexander, who I actually like Alexander, although he's a little two on the nose, you know, and that's, that's, that's part of the problem is, you know, you, you know, he says stuff, like, you know, he has a whole thing like, oh, I thought you, you meant that it was because I was a small person. He's 2,500 years old. Why would he be that childlike and like open? He would be a bitter, twisted, angry, even if he started out as a kind, gentle, person after living with these people and having them, he would just be like, either if we want to go dark, think of a ways that often himself (laughs) to, to get out of it. You know, you'd think after like three or 400 years, you'd be like, all right, I've lived enough of this, you know, this isn't going to end. So, or whatever, or I'm going to take a bunch of these guys with me or something. He was just way too like Innocent, night. he was a great character, but the, and I never thought of it till I watched it. Now I'm like, I just don't think he was a very accurate character. I liked him. I like that they took. I like that. Kirk, I like that Kirk, at the end, is just like Alexander. You're coming, and you can see in his face that he's just like, oh, okay, and he's just like, yeah, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. Screw you guys. I'm going home. And it would have been great if they added him to the crew of the if it was like the next generation, he would have been on the he would have been on the crew after that.
2: I would have loved to have seen a future episode where Kirk was using him as a footstool as he sat in his in his chair on the bridge.
1: No, he'd just be but playing, that's just me. playing harp for Uhura to sing. After <laughs>
2: that.
1: But, you know, I got a lot of positives for this. I mean You've got a midget and Shatner acting together, and you've got one of the greatest, and and I and this positive comes from the internet, you've got the patented Shatner slap, and I think you're the guy who originally <laughs> introduced me to that website where you just push the button. That slap ha- Kirk! And it's, it's slap Kirk. <laughs> that is my
2: first note on my list was slap Kirk because I could not re- remember what episode that came from, and it now comes we from know. this episode. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, listener, just do a Google search for slap Kirk and thank me later because you will have a blast. And you will that thank game. him.
1: And you will thank him later because you will be playing that game for a while before <laughs> you realize that you really should have gone to bed. And and it's great because when when you're watching it on the show, like when you're when you're watching when when I'm like watching the slap thing going, man, they engineered this great because you're whacking the hell out of him, and the music is soaring and like and stuff like that. But no, that's what the music was doing in it. So like just the clips that they did does that naturally in the slap Kirk algorithm or whatever. Whatever it is, it's one of those internet magic things that is a, a time waster that is worth wasting your time on. And and here's the origin. So that, that that um I don't know if this is a good one. This is just an observation, but uh I wonder if Slap Kirk works on iPads. <laughs> I imagine it does. Let's find out <laughs> oh. Oh, he's
0: got the
1: you know what I love the most about this episode when they made Kirk Spock and McCoy walk somewhere all three of those bastards got together and came up with their own like forced walk based on their character McCoy's like the weakest one so he just sort of lurches ahead Kirk, Kirk does his Shatner thing where he just like twists his body and like does like a sort of like crab walkie sort of thing, and Spock would have bursts of where he could hold back for a few seconds and then would surge forward and then stop and fight and surge forward and that's how they always did it so I thought it was kind of neat that each character had its their own you know way of their own special way of walking under <laughs> duress but and also when they when they um when they beamed down Nurse Chapel in that outfit, didn't she look very much like her character in uh, Next Generation of Deanna yeah. Troy's mom? Yeah, she did. And it was it was just a nice little little preview to Deanna Troy's. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I forgot that Chapel and Spock ever kissed. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I forgot that, but they do in this episode, and I I was kind of like, oh wow, all right, she actually. She actually did get it on with Spock just a little bit in an episode, because I, I thought that never happened.
1: And, and she actually even cops to, like, you know, I've always wanted this to happen, but not like this. <laughs> Which I thought was that, that both of them, like, having their little things of dialogue, you know, as as they get closer to each other. I understand what the writer was doing. It's like there's a horrible tension there, you know, a forced... You know, it's it's almost like rape, basically for both of them involved. Basically, that's what the whole show is. You're you're being, you know, you're you're not under your own control, and uh, so they're awkwardly talking, but it's just so it's like out of a bad like romance comic, you know, thought balloon (laughs) type of dialogue. (laughs) It's just terrible. (laughs) And I mean, it's great, it's great when they, well, you know, the, actually the, the Spock and Nurse Chapel one is really uncomfortable, but you know, of course it's, it's, it's hysterical, awkward and historical when Kirk actually, and it's, it's said, this is the first interracial kiss on TV. I, I don't know about movies or anything like that, but on TV, so it was kind of a big deal but it was like not a real kiss, you know. Kirk isn't really laying laying lips on Ahura. He's there, you know. It's like some, to basically somebody grabbed their heads and went, "Hey, man," <laughs> which is how Kirk usually kisses anyway.
0: So right. it wasn't
1: too far off, out of his wheelhouse. But it's just weird that the, that historical kiss was like, it, you know, they didn't really want a kiss, but there it is. History's made. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's see. I got all kinds of notes on this one here. Um, oh, we we didn't mention at the beginning of this, the original era date on this one. Care to venture a guess? 66?
1: Nope.
2: November 22nd, 1968. This is a, a third season episode. Late in the third season, I think.
1: I was alive. Mid to late in the
2: third season. So, yeah. Yeah, we were each just a, just a few months old at this point.
1: Yeah, if I saw it, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see you
2: remember this one way different as as far as like us watching it. You remember this one way different than I do because my 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 memories of this were were not fond memories and it usually you know came down to, "Oh god, this one. You want to go outside and play?" You know, I just I don't remember really <laughs> watching this one a lot cuz I I just never liked this one as a kid. But like I say, it wasn't it wasn't as awful as I remembered it to be. It, it, oh, it I remember some, you some me and redeeming Randy qualities.
1: You me and Randy always used to sing bitter dregs.
2: Now I learned something today in doing a little bit of homework on this episode that not only does Nimoy sing that song, that is actually him singing, he wrote that song, which I thought was kind of interesting, <laughs> although I really wish he'd gone with if I had a hammer, but anyway. All over um,
0: this land. <laughs> right. Take care, young ladies, and value your wine. Be watchful of young men in their velvet prime. Deeply they'll swallow from your finest kegs. Then swiftly be gone. Leaving bitter dregs ah, Bitter dregs With smiling words and tender touch Man offers little and asks for so much He loves in the breathless excitement of night and leaves with your treasure in cold morning light. Ah, in cold morning light.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one thing I, I will give this episode, one huge positive I will give this episode, is it does have a genuine. Star Trek moment, like a real Star Trek moment that you could pull out of the episode and put into like a a, a clip show or something and be like, wow, that that's Star Trek. And that's the, the moment where Kirk is talking to Alexander and kind of comforting him. And he tells him where where I come from, size, shape and color makes no difference. And I love that line. I love Kirk's delivery of that. That was a really good moment of the episode. So, it you know, funny them was it's...
1: just like, just don't be a dumb shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> Being a dumbass though definitely makes yeah, sense. Yeah, we definitely frowned um, upon that.
2: Now, did you recognize? I could not tell you the actress's name, but did you recognize Parman's wife?
1: I recognize her face. Her face was very familiar. And it may be from another Star Trek episode or from another sitcom at the time.
2: It is. She's She was actually, I, again, I don't remember her, her character or anything, but she's in the episode um, A Taste of Armageddon, mm. the one where the, the different planets are fighting their war by computer. She's the woman that gets ordered to, to go kill herself in the disintegration booth, and Kirk won't let her go. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't know if we've covered that one.
1: I don't think we have uh, yet. Uh, we
2: have not. No, it is on the list. I'm looking at it right here. So we have we have yet to do that episode, but yeah, I love that episode. And uh, and as soon as this started and it had, I was like, oh, I recognize her because I always thought she was really attractive. Although she's she's kind of a psycho in this one. She's kind of like milfy psycho, you know. But well, yeah. still, psych. like,
1: um, yeah, like you and like if her as her her character you'd be like, man, she's pretty, but you're not walking away like <laughs> pretty messed you, up yeah you're gonna you're gonna come out at the very least with like whip lashes across your back or whatever you know and <laughs> uh, she's gonna ice pick you to death like yeah, she's, uh,
2: she's she's basic instinct or something
1: she uh, let, uh, let, let's just try to put it mildly and say she's probably pretty high maintenance <laughs> <laughs>
2: One of my first notes I wrote down, uh, because it starts right at the beginning of the episode, is the score sucks for this episode. Did you Did you hear the music right as it starts? Yes. Because it's not your typical Star Trek music when it starts. It's very weird. It's very light and breezy and just, I don't know, it's just not a good score, which is really a shame, because I found out today this is uh, Alexander's, uh, Alexander Courage's last score for the series, and something I read said this is the last original score of the series, but I don't know that that's really true because looking at that awesome box set that uh, La La Land put out not too long ago, there's other tracks beyond this for other you know for other episodes, and usually if if they're recycling music from other episodes, then they don't. You know what I mean? There's there's not a score right. for every single episode on those discs because a lot of the episodes did recycle music, yet there's original music beyond this episode. So I don't know that that was really true or not. But anyway, the the something I read today said that this was uh, Courage's last score for the series, which was a shame because it ain't a good one, unfortunately.
1: No, it was the the it, like the the, the open the the opener to this show is very slapped together the music the shots of it the way things happen it's just like you know they're just walking they just beam down and start walking down a corridor here we are and this is going on which is sort of typical star trek but it still seems even hurried for star trek you know it seems like they really whip into the premise of the 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 show and that you know they do the neat little trick of like oh alexander's a big shadow and it's a little guy you know that sort of thing but it's it just feels real slapped together. It feels like the the camera you know they're sort of wheeling the camera around on the dolly and it and it's a little half ass looking. So it makes me think this was kind of a slap together episode, you know it's just a few sets, you know, just just a couple sets for the plutonian's planets and you know one setup up for the bridge that you just have to shake the camera around with Scotty for a couple scenes and that's it you know so it was a low budget episode and no real you know the only special effects were like let's hook some strings to some things to fly through the air otherwise it's all, all the special all the special effects are basically the actors in this one so it was a it was a low budget you know quickie I, I would guess I would love you know I really prefer to think that they really didn't take their time on the script. <laughs> and that was sort of reflects on the rest of it. Now, I was thinking that they
2: may have touched up the effects digitally in those telekinesis parts. And I was thinking that in the early part of the episode, but then in the part where Parman presents Kirk, Spock and McCoy with their gifts, when it's either when Spock gets his gift or kirk gets his shield one of the two of them um i could see the strings for just a moment as the thing whipped across the screen yeah yeah
1: it's where the enhancement has actually probably brought the string out you know if they were gonna fix those they would you know they would be well off to frame by frame take those things out and then put them back in so they move smoothly because right. because everything that floats through the air has string wobble on it, you know it's just going right you know <laughs> it's just there's there's just no way that it looks realistic but I like that they sort of don't go to those extremes with these. I like that they just do little things like the planet looks better. you can see the readout on the tricorder and they don't even make the readout very fancy. you know the readout just looks like a. You know, a, a page off a spreadsheet. You know, but it, and it, right. but it actually delivers the information that you actually see, the the you know you can see described what McCoy is talking about, and it's it's really cool, and it looks. It looks in sync with the technology, that the tricorder yeah, is. Yeah, blends. So yeah, I like that they just do those little touches instead of you know trying to, to fix everything because. Well, with this one, with this one, what are you gonna do to fix this episode? Yeah, you got the you got Kirk shield flying to him right, smooth. But you're never gonna digitally change. <laughs> oh God!
2: <laughs> now, speaking of technology, correct me if I'm wrong, but we never see that the Planotians are or Platoceans or whatever the hell they are that they're employing any technology. Correct? I mean, I they don't are think living. So. A- all right, so that begs the question. Now, they're correct me if I'm wrong—but their their superpower
1: is strictly telekinesis, right? Not telepathy. Right? I, no, right? it's definitely not telepathy, because they could have, if they could have read minds. There's, you know, Alexander wouldn't have gotten even nearly as close as he did. Right? That yeah, night. that's
2: true. So, what I want to know is. If they're not employing any technology and they're not able to read minds, then how does that account for Spock's Mexican hat dance? And also, Parman, in one point, actually says the phrase, peace de resistance. Would either of those things have even been in existence at the time of Plato and ancient Greece? No, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, no. So well, the the, yeah, Mexi- the Mexican was hat dance. Weird. I don't even know if that was actually a Mex. The Mexican. I think that was more of like, like when I see that dance, it's more. I think it's really. I just liked using the phrase Mexican hat dance around Kirk's. <laughs> right. <hairpiece>. Well, that's <laughs> what it looks like to me. I mean, it just needs the which I would love to dub in. No, I, I would I... love
2: to do a a, re- a fan edit of this and actually dub in Mexican
1: music for for Spock when he's doing his dance. I think it was more and this is still this doesn't negate your your complaint at all because it's still from a later time period. It's from even from the same time period. I think it's more like um the the Spanish bullfighter, you know, the dance he'll do with the one arm up in the air. Where he he just sort of dances around. And he'll have a rose in his teeth, right. <laughs> you know. You always see. It's always like they're always in the trailer park art, like that. The trailer park wall hangings and stuff like that. The Toriador—that's <laughs> what they're called. <laughs> but that—that's what I think it was more like. But either either way, those are both something that they shouldn't have known about. And yeah, if they were psychic, it was something they could have pulled out of like Kirk's brain or something like that. But. uh yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe, maybe they've captured other ships in the in the past and have like read their memory banks or something. But then that would beg the question of if it was Earth ships, they're getting Earth information on why there isn't any other record of this planet or ships going miss or you know Kirk going, oh, this explains why you know the USS you know Dumbeldub disappeared here, you know, six years ago or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, that none of none of this stuff was thought through as enough <laughs> to answer those questions, you know. The the answers are not hidden in this the, we definitely didn't miss it in the <laughs> in this in the story. They just didn't didn't bother. This this I mean this episode is just all about Having these characters do these bizarre things—it's it's a freak check show. Was Sulu
2: in this episode?
1: I don't think so, unless he was just getting tossed around the bridge randomly. No, it was just for... the the main three, and then Uhura and Nurse Chapel. And, right? S- and Scotty had lines. Maybe Sulu had a line of like, "I don't know, sir," or something like that. But
2: yeah, I was trying to remember if I saw either of them on the bridge, and I don't remember. I don't think so, though. I think it was two scrubs.
1: Yeah, no. I, the, only, the only other. I'm sorry. I'm betting this one was towards the end of their budget, you know, right? <laughs> the end of the season, seasonal budget, and it was just like, yeah, maybe we don't have to pay Walter Koenig. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Gene Roddenberry was like, other... "You got to get my girlfriend in a in a nice dress." <laughs> and or her too for and Nichelle, for that matter. Well, were they together by that point? You think? Him I, and then uh, I, I, Majel Barrett. The Roddenberry might have dorked both of them by that time. <laughs> yeah, he probably had a ha- fantasy pr- episode an... for him. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he he, yeah, exactly. Well, he lived that fantasy. I I I know that he did hook. He was he was sort of dating Michelle Nichols, and I think that's how she got on the show as he had dated her in the past and was like, Oh, let's, let's get her on. And then, and then definitely he'd hooked up with, with Michelle or with, uh, Majel Barrett by the third season. So, yeah. So yeah, basically like Roddenberry was parading his harem out there in this episode.
2: Well, I know that, I know that, uh, Nichelle Nichols and Gene Roddenberry had a romantic relationship at some point, but was that pre the show or so. during the
1: course of it? Oh, okay. I think I think that's how he knew. I think he'd known her before because, and I don't think they dated like seriously. I think they just sort of like hooked up and dated for a short period of time, you know, at, at some point. But hmm. Roddenberry seemed like he kind of got around a little bit, so. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? That might be why um, the actress who played Parman's wife was in two episodes, too, you know?
2: You never know. Well, the only other thing I had on this, uh, my last note was there was a moment in this episode where I'm like, I was going, no, 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 no. Oh, cut and roll. Come on, really? And that's McCoy's little Batman utility belt moment where Kirk's just, they're just figuring out that the secret ingredient that was missing between like Parman and the rest of the people and Alexander was that that one element that he was just not he, he didn't have as much of it in his system as they had in theirs and McCoy reaches in his little pack and happens to have that exact thing that he can put into a the hypo and well, give them all an injection. And I'm thinking, what what are the odds of that? It's just a little man purse. You
1: know what? I'm guessing. I'm guessing since they have the te- the transporter technology and molecular level dilly doodling, that he probably has like four or five basic chemicals that you can combine together and then have the tra- you know his kit turn it into whatever compound you need you know he know he's like i need so much carbon and so much of this and you know so much oxygen and so i need this one this one and this one and then his thing puts it together possibly mm. <laughs> so it, so it just can manufacture anything from basic components maybe that's the, i mean that would be the only way unless, yeah unless you had yeah if it's chemicals he would have to have just thousands of vials and beakers but that's also why they have all that technology to just take care of <laughs> plot things like that instead of having like two weeks pass as McCoy does. That's why you notice when Harlan Ellison writes a, a show, it takes them a long time to build their computer out of, out of you know, just crap they find laying around during the Depression instead of being just, right. like, you know, a 12-hour project, you know, Radio Shack project by by Spock (laughs) they weren't they weren't thinking about explaining anything in this they were thinking about just getting it all arranged so they could show various things in it season three
2: yeah that's true I like your explanation though that actually makes a hell of a lot of sense if You know, if they do have that ability, I mean, it's to my recollection, it's never discussed or anything, but that that would be a hell of a no prize is that they actually have, you know, that McCoy has the ability to synthesize basically any drug he would need right there on the fly. That would explain a great number of episodes where it seems like he always has the thing he needs In his little pack, because he's actually able to synthesize it right there on the spot. Like Legos
1: or something, you know, molecular Legos. Yeah, I mean
2: that actually makes a yeah, it makes a hell of a lot of sense actually. But
1: I should have did they? I should have taken. I wish I would have known. I could have like. I think I've got the technical manual here. There's got to be somewhere that's got to be probably just in the depth of how much Star Trek technology and that and those aspects have been addressed in in fandom and officially there's got to be somebody who's put that together. You know, there's got to be in the, uh, and I don't know if it's his tricorder that's doing it or something in his medical pack, but somewhere there is a detailed description of, you know, what all the stuff does and, and how it works. I might have to look that up after we're done.
2: Yeah. I'd be curious to know about that. Because, I mean, that that explanation definitely makes sense. You know what I mean?
1: I, I mean, it's, it's... you know, at this point, that could be something I read when I was 10 years old in a Star Trek technical manual. <laughs> my, and that's why my brain's spitting it out. But that's how I would explain it if I was backed into a corner.
2: Well, speaking of spitting it out, if you've not got anything else on this one, it is time to choose our next episode.
1: Oh, is this... Stupid thing even gonna start up after all this time.
2: How much dust is on that thing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's a little dusty. There's like dirty socks on it All right, let's Whoa, there it goes a little bit of greasy smoke But it's running All right, and I'm gonna hit a few buttons I'm gonna punch it and oh, it spits right out at the end, or, or at our at our highest number now of all our of all Star Trek number seventeen. Number seventeen
2: is all our yesterdays. All our yesterdays. Do you remember this one? I don't. I do remember this one. This is a good one. This one I always liked because it had a sequel novel, which was, I think, one of the very first Star Trek books, uh, Star Trek novels I ever read when I was first getting into Star Trek because I, I liked the cover on it. And, uh, and I read it, and it was a great book. And uh, it made me want to go back and, and refresh myself on the episode because I remembered it as a kid, but I didn't remember it very well.
1: If you just and, hum a few uh, bars in yeah. it, I'll know which one it is. But
2: it's the one with—I'm trying to remember the woman's name—is it Marriott Hartley? I think. Where she's living alone. It's the one with Mister Atos. Oh. But she's living yeah. in the in the like the ancient like yes. ice age pass. She's been a- exiled there.
1: Oh, I have the photo. No- this is one of the photo novel episodes. At least I think that's the one that this is, right? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I, I think, think Mar- Marriott Hartley is, right. is the one that um, that Mister Spock hooks up with on the on yep. their on their fur rug in the cave.
2: Yeah,
1: I'd hook up with Marriott Hartley. Yeah, a fur is that rug is that who
2: it is? Is it Marriott Hartley? I'm I pretty think sure that's it right. is Marriott Hartley. Yes, uh, it is Marriott Hartley. Yeah, Zerabeth yeah, that was wife. her name. Zerabeth. Yeah. Oh, I like this one. I like this one a lot. This is a good episode. All right, cool. I'm looking forward to it well the uh, the sequel I was talking about there was actually two sequels um I have since read them both but back you know back in the day i only I only knew about the one it was called yesterday's Sun and uh we'll we'll talk about that as well I believe when, I you know. have
1: yesterday's son have you ever read it I have not
2: it's good I think I think there's a what do you call it a, a um not a photo novel a um Ah, uh, what do you call it? Audiobook. I think there's an audiobook for this. Because I don't think I've ever actually read the sequel. The there's another one beyond this one called uh um Time for Yesterday. That one I think I've only ever listened to the audiobook and it might be why I didn't like it as much as Yesterday's Sun, but Yesterday's Sun was a really really good book. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, it was an early one. It was a uh, it was only number 11 of the Pocket series. Yes. So it was a it was a really early book, and I remember picking this one up because I liked the cover. Because on the cover of it, Spock is wearing essentially the uniform that they're wearing in the Star Trek II era, um, and so I thought it was set, you know, around that time. Because again, you know, I, I discovered I really got into Star Trek because of Star Trek II on HBO. And this was on the stands right about that time I was starting to get into Star Trek. So I snapped this up, and then you know a lot of these early novels used covers that were deceptive. You know they were using like the the costumes of the time, you know that the crew was wearing like in the motion pictures and stuff, but the stories themselves were actually set during the television series. And this story is clearly set within the tell you know the framework of the television series. But a uh, really good book, at least the first one. Like I said, the second one I didn't re- I didn't remember liking as much. But I think I only ever listened to the, the audio, you know, the um, audiobook of that one. I, back then, I think all the Star Trek audiobooks were heavily um, edited, you know, um, what do you call it, abridged? So It probably wasn't as good a a listen as it would have been a read, reading the whole thing for myself. But anyway, yeah, we'll talk about all that when uh, when we cover this next time.
1: And yeah, you will have to wait two years. (laughs) Well, I just want to say
2: before we uh, sign off on this one, uh, be sure to, uh, you know, if you're not already set up to get these things automatically or still set up after all this time, make sure to keep a watch because immediately following this episode we are going to jump ahead in time 80 years to star trek the next generation and we are going to follow the next episode beyond where we left off so uh, be sure to hunt that episode down it's sure to be a fun listen
1: yep at and least i hope so because we ain't recorded it we're late in season three <laughs> though we're in where it was getting good so we'll see yep. you we'll uh, if you're If you're just downloading and listening to this, the other episode's up, so we'll see you in just a few short seconds.
0: Bye. I miss you. I miss you, too.
1: (laughs) If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks
2: is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.
1: You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com.
0: Pan sounds his horn, marking time to the rhyme with his hoof, with his hoof, forward,
1: forward in our plan, we proceed as we began.